0: This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is Making Inspired Decisions. In the first half, Anthony D. Perkins shares his address, Nevertheless, I went forth. Then in the second half, Paul Calderella speaks on the call of the Lord.
1: My wife Christy and I are so thrilled to be with you. When we were young and skinny uh, BYU undergraduates, (laughs) if someone had suggested that uh, we would return in 30 years to speak to students in the Marriott Center, due to my calling in the 70, we would have laughed uncontrollably. Yet uh, I suppose our visit today illustrates the marvelous wonder of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we seek to be led by the Spirit and go forth in faith, often not knowing precisely what course to pursue, life can curiously turn out to be more abundant than we might ever imagine. You young adults are now living in what Elder Robert D. Hales of the Twelve Apostles is called the Decade of Decision. Many of the most important choices of your life will be made in your late teens and twenties, such as going to the temple, serving a mission, getting an education, selecting an occupation, and choosing a companion and being sealed for time and for all eternity in the Holy Temple. Today I speak particularly to those persons who are struggling with one of these important decisions, some perhaps almost paralyzed from fear of making the wrong decision, and some maybe needing only a little reinforcement to remain confident in a decision made previously. Four lessons of inspired decision-making by Nephi— in the well-known opening chapters of the Book of Mormon, if applied, can reduce your fears and increase your confidence to go forward. Lesson one: qualify for the Spirit by obeying the commandments. The last sentence of Nephi's sacred record encapsulates his life quote "For thus hath the Lord commanded me and I must obey Close quote Nephi's faith in and love for the Savior is exemplified in his actions to obey God's commandments. He prayed, crying unto the Lord in his youth until he obtained a testimony. He served as a missionary, teaching and inviting Ishmael's family even without a Elder Nephi name tag. He read the scriptures, searching the brass plates until he could understand them and could teach from them. He sought after and followed the direction of a living prophet, which blessed him spiritually and temporally. Such obedience permitted the Holy Ghost to powerfully accompany Nephi throughout his life and yielded ongoing personal revelation. As young adults who have been taught gospel truths and accepted sacred covenants, you too must stay close to the Lord by keeping God's commandments. I testify that consistent obedience to small things such as reading the scriptures and praying daily, attending Church meetings, heeding the counsel of living prophets and serving others, will qualify you for the Spirit and the revelation he brings. Now, as obedient as Nephi was in life, he was not perfect. I repeat, Nephi was not perfect. He lamented his shortcomings with phrases such as, O wretched man that I am! Yea, my heart sorroweth because of my flesh. My soul grieveth because of mine iniquities. I am encompassed about— Because of the temptations and the sins which do so easily beset me. But Nephi understood the doctrine of the atonement, exercised faith in Jesus Christ unto repentance, and thus remained sufficiently worthy for the companionship of the Holy Ghost. You too are not perfect, yet perfection is not a prerequisite to personal revelation. The prerequisite is daily repentance because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When Satan whispers that you are unworthy of personal revelation, as he always will, remember the Savior's teaching, As often as my people repent will I forgive them their trespasses against me. If your repentance has been sincere and thorough, and even though temptation may persist for a season, be assured that the cleansing power of the Atonement will bring the Spirit to guide you in the weighty decisions of life. Lesson 2. Move forward in faith even without perfect knowledge. Put yourself in Nephi's sandals for a moment. Your father comes home to tell you about a great spiritual experience whereby the Lord has commanded your family to leave behind all your wealth and travel through uncharted wilderness to a promised land. Wouldn't you like to know something about your journey and ultimate destination? I suppose Nephi would have been thrilled if the Lord had clearly revealed his future. You will leave Jerusalem but come back for brass plates and Ishmael's family, marry one of his daughters and have children, travel southeast across the Arabian Peninsula for many years, almost become a murder victim at the hands of your brothers multiple times, build a ship, sail across an ocean, start building a village, then abandon it to escape persecution, and finally build a temple in your promised land. But that degree of clarity is not how God worked with Nephi, even though Nephi was fully worthy of the Spirit and personal revelation, and that is not how God will work with you. Perhaps seeing a Blu-ray-quality trailer of his entire life and its trials could have been so daunting that Nephi might have been too frightened to even leave Jerusalem. Instead, as his family traveled through the wilderness, New instructions only came to Nephi from time to time. When he was building a ship, the Lord provided specific guidance only from time to time. These glimpses from time to time turned out to be a great blessing to Nephi. Viewing his life journey with certainty up front would not have provided Nephi the soul-stretching and faith-forming experiences that helped him become a more Christ-like man. If you are waiting for God to unmistakably reveal to you what academic major to pursue, whom to marry, what job offer to accept, where to live, whether to go to graduate school, and how many children to bear, then you will likely never leave your apartment. Christy and I can testify that such personal revelation will come to you only from time to time. Our Heavenly Father wants us to grow in every way while on this earth. And that includes developing our ability to weigh facts, render judgments, and make decisions. But He also invites us to bring our decisions to Him in prayer. Answers to our prayers are personal revelation and come to us, as Elder Richard G. Scott of the Twelve Apostles taught, in one of three ways. First, Elder Scott says, You can feel the peace, comfort, and assurance that confirm your decision is right. In our married life, Christy and I have found that assurance for critical, life-impacting decisions can be communicated through the scriptures, often after temple worship. For example, after much pondering and prayer, we decided to abandon our new dream home in Dallas, accept a job transfer, and move with six young children to Beijing. We desperately desired spiritual confirmation for such a momentous move— divine assurance did come to us in the temple as we read these words in the Doctrine and Covenants, It is my will that you should tarry not many days in this place. Think not of thy property. Go unto the eastern lands. The voice of Jesus Christ in the scriptures, accompanied by powerful feelings from the Holy Ghost, unquestionably confirmed that our decision to move to China was right. Nephi had similar experiences while building his ship. He said, I did go unto the Mount oft, wherefore the Lord showed unto me great things. When you need to confirm important decisions, spend time and in the scriptures and at the temple so God can speak to you. I emphasize can speak to you because sometimes the Lord withholds confirming assurance. The second way Heavenly Father answers prayers, Elder Scott says, is when you can sense that unsettled feeling, the stupor of thought, indicating that your choice is wrong. While newlywed undergraduates at BYU, Christy and I learned valuable lessons about recognizing this type of prompting. After my mission to Taiwan, I thought international law would be a good career choice. As Christy and I considered that possible future, we understood that five more years of expensive education lay ahead. The United States economy was in a deep recession, and our funds were limited, so we reasoned that joining the Air Force ROTC would be a wise choice to pay for my schooling. But as I took the required test and filled out the paperwork, we just could not get comfortable about making that commitment. No stupor of thought or dark feelings came, only an absence of peace. While joining the Air Force is a great option for some, we determined this was not the right course for us. Looking back, that seemingly illogical financial decision was inspired, at least in part because I would have been a horrible lawyer. While at BYU, we learned another lesson about wrong choices that was painful in the short term, but a blessing in the long run. Christy and I found a used Mazda car that fit our small budget and prayed about purchasing it. An unsettled feeling came that I, not my wife, but I foolishly disregarded because the car's interior looked cool and it had a great sound system. I rationalized that the bad feeling would depart if the high-mileage engine were replaced. After the seller agreed and put a Toyota engine in that Mazda, the dark feeling remained, but we once again pushed it aside and handed over our meager funds. This car, which we cleverly named Toyazda, turned out to be a pile of junk, <laughs> but we learned at an early age to recognize the what we now call the Toyazda feeling that warns of a wrong choice. The third way God answers prayers Elder Scott taught, quote, and this is the difficult one, you can feel no response, Elder Scott continues, you may want to express thanks when that occurs, for it is an evidence of His trust. When you are living worthily and your choice is consistent with the Savior's teachings and you need to act, proceed with trust. Nephi's third attempt to enter Jerusalem and obtain the brass plates illustrates how we proceed with divine trust. Nephi recorded, I was led by the Spirit, not knowing beforehand the things which I should do. Nevertheless, I went forth. What a great statement of faith. Nevertheless, I went forth. Nephi had received no specific answer on how to accomplish his objective, but the time to act had arrived and could not be postponed. So he moved forward, knowing the Spirit would direct him when needed. Moments will arrive during your decade of decision when you cannot procrastinate any longer and must act. A few months ago, our family went out to see the latest Star Trek movie. At one point, Spock questions the course of action that Captain Kirk has determined to pursue. Kirk responds, You're right. What I am about to do, it doesn't make sense. It's not logical. It is a gut feeling. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. I only know what I can do. Looking back at my life, what Captain Kirk calls a gut feeling has guided many important decisions. Marriage to Christie, my BYU major— my first job, graduate school. I had studied each decision out in my mind and prayed for confirmation, but had to act on what felt right because no unmistakably divine assurance had yet come. Confirmation came only later. I learned, as Elder Dallin H. Oakes of the Twelve Apostles teaches, quote, We will get promptings of the Spirit when we have done everything we can. When we are out in the sun working— rather than sitting back in the shade praying for the direction on the first step to take. Revelation comes when the children of God are on the move. Close quote. Some of you may be nervous about acting when heavenly assurance has not yet come. Take courage. Elder Scott promises, quote, When you are living righteously and are acting with trust, God will not let you proceed too far without a warning impression if you have made the wrong decision. Close quote. Our daughter Jenny, who offered the prayer today, uses a humorous example from the movie Home Alone to illustrate this concept. You might recall the scene where Kevin is surprised to be in an empty house, but still yells out to his absent parents Guys, I'm eating junk and watching rubbish. You better come out and stop me. Jenny says her prayers sometimes feel similar. I'm moving ahead to major in psychology, so if that's not right, please let me know. I testify that you are sons and daughters of loving heavenly parents who trust you to make decisions and move forward in faith without a perfect knowledge of what the future holds. And, as with Nephi, the Spirit will in due time confirm or warn of your chosen path. Lesson 3 commit fully to inspired decisions, and live in the present. Nephi's commitment on the journey to the promised land stands in stark contrast to that of his brothers, Laman and Lemuel. Like Nephi, they made the decision to go, but their hearts never left Jerusalem. Nephi was fixing his bow to hunt for food and mining ore to build a ship, while his brothers seemed to have been lounging in a tent. Today, the world has too many laymen's and lemmules. Schoolwork is undertaken half-heartedly because Halo 4, Angry Birds, or Facebook beckons us back into the tent. Employment is perfunctorily accepted while looking for the next, hopefully better, job. Award is moved into but never really joined because of a possible future relocation. And even marriage can be exited if inconvenient. Jesus Christ's Church needs committed men and women like Nephi. You will experience greater progress in life when you wholly commit to your decisions and strive to excel in your current circumstances, even while you have an eye open to the future. Doors usually open to the fully committed. Nephi exemplifies the wise counsel of President Thomas S. Monson, "...learn from the past, prepare for the future, live in the present." Sometimes we let our thoughts of tomorrow take up too much of today. Daydreaming of the past and longing for the future may provide comfort but will not take the place of living in the present. This is the day of our opportunity, and we must grasp it. Lesson 4. Draw on the strength of trusted loved ones to sustain the journey. Even after we have sought the Spirit, move forward with our decision— and are wholly committed to it, doubts may still arise and cause us to re-question our decision. In such circumstances, a trusted family member or friend can provide counsel and strength to stay the course. When they left Jerusalem, Nephi probably relied on his father, mother, and his brother Sam for this support. But along the journey, I suggest, his new bride became that trusted anchor. A comprehension of Nephi's wife did not come to me until I was in my late thirties. While vacationing in Utah from our home in Beijing, we visited the Church History Museum to view the church-wide art competition. I was transfixed by a painting of Nephi, lashed to the mast of a ship, soaked to the skin in a driving storm, and absolutely exhausted. At that time I could relate to Nephi. I was bearing the burden. Of establishing my firm's position in China, striving to be a good father to six young children, and magnifying my Church calling, I felt pretty overwhelmed. I wondered whether we should remain in China as we had been directed by the Spirit to do. But in the painting, I also observed that at Nephi's side were his wife and one of his children. She was experiencing the same storm and challenges as Nephi, but her eyes were defiant and her strong arms were protectively wrapped around his shoulders. In that moment, I realized that I too was blessed to have a loyal spouse offering her strength in my times of trial. And I hope that I was a similar strength to her when she felt lashed to a mast, raising six kids in the storms of a foreign land. Together, we recommitted to our decision of living in China. Since that museum visit, I have spent time looking for Nephi's wife, amidst the opening pages of the Book of Mormon. My studies have caused me to ponder their courtship and life together. What did she see in Nephi? He wrote that he was, quote, large in stature. Does that mean she was enthralled by Thor-like ripped abs? (laughs) I believe it was his spiritual strength that drew her heart to him. When Nephi came to the home of Ishmael, she observed a powerful missionary. On the trip to Lehi's camp, she heard him raise his voice in faith and forgive his attackers. Brethren, preserving and enhancing the spiritual strength you developed, or will yet develop, as a missionary or another righteous service, is your best asset to become a desirable husband and father. What did Nephi see in her? At Ishmael's home, he was likely impressed by this young woman— whose heart was softened by the word of God. On the journey out of Jerusalem, he observed a woman unwilling to rebel and prepared to move forward in faith. And we might assume she was the courageous daughter of Ishmael who pleaded with Nephi's brothers to not harm him. Sisters, developing spiritual sensitivity, faith, and courage to follow Jesus Christ are among your best qualities to become an incredible wife and mother. I invite each of you to become— the type of person that your current or future spouse can draw on for wise counsel and strength. Drifting aimlessly without spiritual or temporal purpose will not enhance your prospects for a successful marriage. Do not retreat into an impenetrable shell because of prior relationship rejections and pains. Invest yourself in finding a mutually compatible companion and be willing to move forward in faith when you feel you have found the right person. Do not let the fears of repeating the broken marriage of your parents or your friends keep you from that crowning covenant. I am confident that Nephi's wife strengthened his resolve to do the many hard things the Lord commanded him to do. I testify that in our day a virtuous man and a worthy woman, sealed for time and all eternity in a temple, can likewise do difficult things as equal partners. To stick with our decisions in times of doubt, each of us needs to draw on the strength of a trusted friend, family member, or spouse. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland of the Twelve Apostles shared an experience that happened at BYU not long after his 1963 marriage. Elder Holland relates I turned to Pat and said something like this Honey, should we give up? I can get a good job and carve out a good living for us. I can do some things. I'll be okay without a degree. Should we stop trying to tackle what right now seems so difficult to face? Then my beloved little bride did what she has done for forty-five years since then. She grabbed me by the lapels and said, We are not going back. We are not going home. The future holds everything for us." The future did hold everything for Jeff and Pat Holland, for Nephi and his wife, for Tony and Christy Perkins, and it does for you. Jesus Christ promises, quote, "'Ye are little children." And ye have not as yet understood how great blessings the Father hath in his own hands and prepared for you. And ye cannot bear all things now. Nevertheless, be of good cheer, for I will lead you along. I promise that if you will apply the lessons learned from Nephi and modern prophets about making decisions, you will be led along with personal revelation from time to time, and your life will be of curious workmanship— uniquely pleasing to the Lord. I invite you to 1. Qualify for the Spirit by obeying commandments. 2. Move forward in faith even without perfect knowledge. 3. Commit fully to inspired decisions and live in the present. 4. Draw on the strength of trusted loved ones to sustain the journey. As you progress through the decade of decision, may you have the faith to say, as did Nephi, I was led by the Spirit, not knowing beforehand the things which I should do. Nevertheless, I went forth. I know that Heavenly Father and His beloved Son, Jesus Christ, are the source of all our blessings in mortality and in the eternities. Jesus taught, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Be confident that the Savior will fulfill His promise to lead you along to an abundant life even when the immediate path sometimes seems uncertain. I so testify in the sacred name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is Making Inspired Decisions. We've just heard from Anthony D. Perkins. After the break, we'll return with Paul Calderella for The Call of the Lord. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is Making Inspired Decisions. Next is Paul Calderella, Associate Professor in the BYU Department of Counseling Psychology and Special Education and Director of the Positive Behavior Support Initiative at the time of this address, titled The Call of the
2: Lord. When I first began my employment at Brigham Young University, a colleague of mine told me that if I attended devotionals, my work at the university would be blessed. I have certainly found that to be true. It is an honor to speak with you today, and I pray the Holy Spirit will attend to help edify and uplift all of us. Since beginning my employment at BYU, one of my greatest fears has been giving a devotional talk. However, when I prayed about the invitation to speak with you— I not only received confirmation to give this talk, but I also received the topic to cover. I thought I would start by telling you a little bit more about myself. I am originally from Rhode Island. I joined the Church as a graduate student in Logan, Utah. I was fortunate enough to meet my wife, Andrea, while in graduate school. We have two boys, A.J. age 12 and Andrew, age 7. My family is the love of my life, and I am extremely grateful that the Lord has blessed me with them. I also want to wish you all a happy Pioneer Day. I had not heard of this holiday before moving here to Utah, but it is a, <laughs> uh, but it is a day for which I am grateful. It's so important to remember our ancestors and the sacrifices they have made for us. I am from a family of immigrants, so I can relate to the story of the pioneers who traveled great distances and bore up under hardships seeking a better life. My grandfather, Emilio Calderella, immigrated to the United States on the Gertie, a steamship from Pequino Sicily, on June 28, 1906, at the age of 11, with his 14-year-old sister Maria and his 49-year-old mother Consetta. They had just $20 between them when they arrived. The voyage by steamship took across the Atlantic took nearly 3 weeks. They first settled in Lawrence, Massachusetts, and eventually moved to Providence, Rhode Island. As I was preparing this talk, I began to wonder what had led people like my grandfather and the early pioneers to leave their homes and their loved ones and travel long distances at great personal sacrifice and expense. As I pondered this question, I began to realize that they had heeded the call of the Lord. How else could they have made those long treks and withstood those hardships— that often accompanied those experiences. When we are called to the Lord, we can withstand such challenges. I am a pioneer of sorts in that I am the first and only member of my family so far to join The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In my devotional talk today, I am going to use scriptures, hymns, art, quotes from Church leaders, and some of my own personal experiences. The topic of my talk today is the call of the Lord. The Lord calls us in different ways to do different things at different times in our lives, but always with the same purpose—to serve Him, and in serving Him we are blessed, as are those around us. Examples of ways I have felt the call of the Lord include feeling called to repent, to enter a profession— To move to a new place, to be baptized, to obtain the priesthood, to marry, and to serve in the Church. I also feel called to future full-time missionary service. Perhaps you can recall ways you have felt called by the Lord or how He may be calling to you now. According to the guide to the scriptures, to be called of God is to receive an appointment or invitation from Him— or His duly authorized Church leaders to serve Him in a particular way. So the Lord can directly call to us, or we can be called by our Church leaders to serve Him. Examples of the Lord calling individuals to follow Him are found throughout the scriptures. The first mention of someone being called to the Lord is found in Genesis 3, verses 9 to 10. "Quote, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. It is interesting that this occurred just after Adam had partaken of the forbidden fruit and was afraid. I believe this shows Heavenly Father's love for us. He calls to us at various times in our lives, both when we are living worthily, but also when we sin, make mistakes, or are fearful. As we learn in Romans 11, verse 29, quote, "For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance." Close quote. Indeed, his calls to us at such times may be particularly important, as they often prompt us to get back on the path that leads to true happiness, joy, and peace. I can relate to this. When I was in my 20s, I was not a member of the LDS Church, but an inactive member of another faith. I was going to college and associating with some friends who were not living gospel standards but who were instead focused on carousing and having a good time. This lifestyle, while bringing some temporary pleasure, did not leave me with a feeling of lasting happiness, joy, or peace. I tried explaining to these friends my desire to serve and help others in meaningful ways, but they did not want to abandon their pleasure-seeking lifestyles. Over time, I began to feel that I should not continue my association with them as they were not going in a direction I wanted to go. It took great effort to separate myself from these friends, but with the help of some trusted others who supported the change I was trying to make, I was able to do so. I believe that this experience illustrates how the Lord was prompting me to change my life to better serve Him by serving others and experiencing more lasting happiness, joy, and peace. Perhaps you can relate to times in your life when the Lord similarly called you to make a change, or perhaps you are feeling the call of the Lord to do so now. After graduating from college and breaking away from these friends, I moved to Cambridge, Massachusetts to work and live there. I also began taking part-time graduate classes to determine what I wanted to study in graduate school and what school I might want to attend. As part of this process, I met with one of my professors to discuss graduate school options— and he suggested that I consider schools in Utah. I was not sure why my professor suggested Utah, but I did look at schools here and eventually decided to attend Utah State University. I can still remember landing at the Salt Lake City Airport and driving to Logan for graduate school interviews. It felt good to be in Utah. After meeting with faculty and students there, I knew I wanted to move to Utah to attend graduate school. I did not realize it at that time, but, again, I was feeling called of the Lord, this time to move to Utah and begin my new life as a graduate student. The call of the Lord is also illustrated in Mary's miraculous birth of the Savior. In Luke chapter 1, verses 28 to 38, we read, And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when Mary saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And, behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob, Forever, And of this kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaiden of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. The angel also visited Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost." And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Close quote. Joseph similarly accepted his call of the Lord. I have always been impressed with the story and faith Mary and Joseph showed. They had received singular callings from the Lord delivered by heavenly messengers, and while they both had some fears and doubts, they nevertheless responded. Be it unto me according to thy word. This is a good example for all of us when we are called of the Lord. We may have some doubts and fears, but if we have faith and heed the call, all will work out. From the guide to the scriptures, we learn that Jesus Christ is the firstborn of the Father in the Spirit. He is the only begotten of the Father in the flesh. He is Jehovah and was foreordained to his great calling before the creation of the world. An example of Jesus knowing of his preordained calling is found in Luke 2, verses 40 to 49. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was twelve years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned— the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they saw him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with us? Thus dealt with us. Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Close quote. Later, Jesus also had to go through trials and temptations to fulfill his divine calling— as he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. We learn in Alma 7, verses 11 to 12, that Jesus had to experience all of the challenges that beset us here on earth in order to be able to serve us. "Quote, And he shall go forth suffering pains and afflictions and temptations of every kind. And this, that the word might be fulfilled which saith, he will take upon him the pains at sicknesses of his people, and he will take upon him death, that he may loose the bands of death which bind his people, and he will take upon them their infirmities, that his bowels may be filled with mercy according to the flesh, that he may know according to the flesh how to succor his people according to their infirmities. This is important to know and remember as the Lord calls us to serve him. He knows our weaknesses and infirmities and will help us in our callings. This brings to mind one of my favorite hymns, Be Thou Humble, from which I now quote. Be thou humble in thy weakness, and the Lord thy God shall lead thee, shall lead thee by the hand, and give thee answer to thy prayers. Be thou humble in thy calling, and the Lord thy God shall teach thee to serve his children gladly with a pure and gentle love. So, humility is needed to help us respond to the feelings of weakness we often experience when we receive and heed the call of the Lord. The Lord is there to help us as we strive to follow Him. President Monson has stated, quote, Remember that whom the Lord calls, the Lord qualifies. Close quote. I have often felt feelings of fear or weakness as I have been called to the Lord. One example is when I was out of town at a professional conference and received a phone call from a church leader asking if I would be willing to serve as the ward clerk. I remember thinking, can I really do this? I had not grown up in the church, and I had very little knowledge of how the clerk's office operated, though they seemed to do many important things. However, when I got down on my knees and prayed to know how I should respond, I felt a confirming witness that I was to accept this church calling and that I would be able to perform the duties associated with it. And that is exactly what happened. The Lord did qualify me and send others to help me. We also learn from the scriptures how Jesus called his early disciples and how they responded. "Quote," And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightaway left their nets and followed Him. I have always found this to be a remarkable event. Here were these seemingly ordinary men at work fishing for a living, yet Jesus knew their true potential and called them to fill the measure of their creation. They recognized that the Savior was offering them a better life as they immediately accepted His invitation to follow Him. In the same way the Lord knows us, and calls us to fill the measure of our creation that we might have joy by following Him. I have experienced this in my own life. After arriving in Logan to attend graduate school, I began to notice that most of my neighbors were young, married, Mormon couples who seemed happy and content. Their example impressed me, and I began to think that perhaps I wanted that in my own life. I also found myself gravitating towards faculty who, I later learned, were members of the LDS faith. I began to realize that I wanted to learn more about the culture of these Latter-day Saints, though I was not consciously looking to join a new religion. I had a particularly friendly neighbor who was a returned missionary. I can still remember the look on his face when I asked him if he had a copy of the Book of Mormon that I could borrow. We all want that, right? Somebody asked us that. And he seemed quite pleased, uh, very pleased and excited. He returned to my apartment within minutes with a copy of the book. I was surprised that he had been able to provide me with a copy so quickly. <laughs> I said I would return the book to him when I would finished reading it, but he said no, I could keep it. I thanked him and accepted, asking if I could pay him for it, but again he said no and reiterated that it was mine to keep. Upon reading it, I did not have an immediate experience of the truthfulness of the book, but rather this developed line upon line, precept upon precept, as we are taught in the scriptures. My first experience of beginning to feel a call from the Lord regarding potentially joining the LDS Church came during the first sacrament meeting I attended several weeks later. My neighbor invited me to attend services with him and his wife. What impressed me the most during that meeting was the way the Church members sang the hymns. They seemed to really believe what they were singing, and I felt the Spirit quite strongly. I have had a love of church hymns ever since. Eventually, I began attending church services more regularly and taking the missionary discussions. I was later baptized after putting Moroni 's promise to the test,, quote, "And when ye shall receive these things, I would exhort you that if you would ask God, the eternal Father, in the name of Christ, if these things are not true, and if ye shall ask with a sincere heart with real intent. Having faith in Christ, He will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost, and by the power of the Holy Ghost you may know the truth of all things. I can still remember driving to the outskirts of Logan on a moonlit spring night, getting on my knees, asking God if the Book of Mormon was true, feeling the warmth of His love, and getting a clear answer that it was true. We can use the same process when we feel called of the Lord. It was not an easy thing to be baptized. My loving parents were very much against my converting to a different religion. This was difficult for me, and I also had some behaviors and habits that I needed to change. However, with the help of the Lord and the people He provided to help me, I was able to be baptized and feel the cleansing power of that ordinance. Often the Lord calls us to do difficult things— which we may not be sure we want to do, but which will bring great blessings. This is illustrated in the early life of President David O. McKay. When he was eight years of age, his father, also named David, received a call to go on a mission. To accept such a call for two or three years away from home was no easy decision to make. Another baby was on its way, and plans had been made to enlarge the house and furnishings The responsibilities of running the farm were too great to be left to his wife. So when David showed the letter, calling him to a mission, he said, Of course, it's impossible for me to go. Jeanette read the letter, looked at her husband, and said decisively, Of course, you must accept. You need not worry about me. David O. and I will manage things nicely. In the absence of his father, the boy David quickly redirected his energies to chores and farm work— Circumstances thus help to produce a maturity beyond his physical years. Close quote. The life of the Savior is the ultimate example of doing hard things in responding to the call of the Lord. As we learn when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. We can similarly call to the Lord for help as we strive to follow him. And he will provide help to us, often in the form of another person. As President Thomas S. Monson stated, When we are on the Lord's errand, we are entitled to the Lord's help. One great source of help the Lord has provided me is my wife and helpmate, Andrea. She is a special daughter of Heavenly Father, who I'm lucky to have as my eternal companion. I met Andrea at a church dance in Logan, which I was not planning to attend. However, a persistent return missionary, roommate of mine, uh, persisted in asking me to attend with him, so I relented and there met my future wife. I can still remember that special feeling I had when we first embraced. It was the same warm, tender feeling I felt when I prayed, asking if the Book of Mormon was true, the Spirit testifying to me that Andrea was the woman I was to marry. She has brought great blessings into my life, for which I am eternally grateful— I share this in the hopes that it may help be of help to those of you searching for your eternal companion. I know how difficult that search can be. If you heed the call of the Lord, He will lead you through the difficult burdens that you will encounter and onto the path leading to happiness, joy, and peace. The most difficult burden I have yet been asked to bear was when my father was diagnosed with leukemia in April of 2011. Upon hearing of his diagnosis, I felt confirmation from the Spirit that his time on earth was coming to an end. He had been sick for some time, but we did not know the extent of his illness. He and most of my family remained extremely hopeful that he would not die of this disease. In the weeks that passed, as he became weaker and stopped eating, I felt prompted that it was time for me to travel back to Rhode Island to be with him. When I arrived, he was quite thin and frail— And very anxious about dying. I tried to console him the best that I could, but his anxiety regarding his impending death was strong. I then felt prompted to ask my father if he would like me to give him a priesthood blessing, and, somewhat to my surprise, he agreed. I contacted the local LDS bishop and asked if he could arrange for someone to help me perform this ordinance. He agreed to do this himself, despite his busy schedule. In the blessing, I was prompted to tell my father that he would soon be passing through the veil and that he would be reunited with family members who had already made that journey and who were joyfully waiting to receive him and be reunited with him. This blessing calmed my father greatly, and his anxiety decreased remarkably, and he accepted the fact that the Lord was calling him home. He passed peacefully through the veil later that evening. I was so grateful that this local bishop came to the hospital to help me give my Father that priesthood blessing. I did not know him at all prior to this, but he responded to my call for help with performing the sacred priesthood ordinance. As stated by President Eyring, When we accepted the priesthood, we took upon us the responsibility to do our part in watching over the Church. None of us can escape accountability. A shepherd watches over his sheep. They need protection and nourishment. The Savior warns us that we must watch the sheep as He does. He gave His life for them. They are His. We cannot approach His standard if we, like a hired servant, we watch only when it is convenient and only for a reward. This bishop demonstrated to me that he knew the responsibility and calling he carried and was willing to serve with me as my father prepared to pass through the veil. What about those times when we choose to disregard the call of the Lord? There are many examples of this in the Scriptures as well. I will share just one account. We can probably all relate to the story of Jonah, the prophet who denied the call of the Lord. As we read in Jonah, chapter one, verses one to three: quote, "Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it." For their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah got on the ship, but a mighty tempest was stirred up by the Lord, forcing the sailors to cast Jonah into the sea. For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord. Close quote. However, the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah up, and he was in the belly of the fish three days and nights. Jonah said, quote, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell I cried, I, And thou heardest my voice, for thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. Jonah was then released from the fish, and the Lord again called him to go to Nineveh to preach and warn the people. This time Jonah agreed, and the people of the city, even the king, believed the word of God they heard from him. They prayed, fasted, and repented, and the Lord spared them. What a story! I used to think that the Lord treated Jonah harshly, But now I see that he was trying to help Jonah fulfill his divine calling to preach to the people of Nineveh and save them and himself. The message here seems to be that while we can choose to run from the call of the Lord, he will continue to try to help us to turn to him and serve those we are called to serve, and in doing so be blessed ourselves. I am grateful for this as I am not always perfect in recognizing and heeding the Lord's call. President Henry B. Eyring has reminded us, quote, Your call has eternal consequences for others and for you. In the world to come, thousands may call your name blessed, even more than the people you serve here. They will be ancestors and the descendants of those who choose eternal life because of, because of something you said or did or even what you were. Close quote. I have seen this partially fulfilled in my own life as I have been engaged in family history and temple work for my ancestors and personally experience the great blessings this brings. In closing, I would like to bear my testimony. I know that God lives, that Jesus is the Christ, and that the gospel was restored through Joseph Smith. I know that the Lord is continually calling to each of us to follow him if we have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to feel. I know that our lives and the lives of others are greatly blessed when we heed the call of the Lord. I leave this with you humbly in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Making Inspired Decisions with thoughts from Anthony D. Perkins and Paul Calderella. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.